to cross a valley floor. It's meant to evoke in the reader and evoke in the people that he's talking to two images right away. One is the covenant curses, part of which says that if you turn from me and you refuse to repent, I will scatter you, but I will also scatter your bones. You will not have a place of rest. This is an incredibly important word. The people of Israel, if you read through the kings and the chronicles and the stories of their disobedience, there was, in almost every case, even for the most disobedient king, still a place where his bones would be laid. He would still be laid to rest with his fathers in the city of Jerusalem. He still would rest with David and his ancestors. There was still a place The covenant curses were being held back. God was saying, I'm giving you time to repent. But now, by by Ezekiel walking through this whole wilderness of dead bones, he's saying, people of Israel, the covenant curses are in full effect. They are taking the most extreme effect that they were going to take, and that is there is no place even for our bones to rest because we have disobeyed God. It's also meant because it's that valley floor, that floor of the valley these dead bones are in, to remind people of the time of the Exodus wilderness. Remember they came out of the Exodus, God had delivered them, and God brought them into the wilderness through the Red Sea, and and he's leading them towards the promised land, and and Moses sends some people out to go, go check out the promised land, and they come back, and all but two of the people who went in said, there's no way, there's no hope for us, we can't get into the promised land, we better just turn back. God's response was, not one of you, not one of you over the age of 20, will live to see the promised land. And in a 40-year period, everybody who was over the age of 20 died in the wilderness. God's reminding his people, your life without me leads to death, a death you cannot imagine. And it is like your whole life becomes a desert wasteland full of dry bones. Two other images commentators tie to this passage because of that valley floor, both representing disobedience to God. The Tower of Babel, you remember that story? It says it uses the same language, being built on the floor of the valley, rising up to the heavens, trying to to claim a name for themselves. We don't need God. Look at us. And God scattered them said, no way. You are not going to live like this, people of the earth. This is not what will lead you to the flourishing life I desire for you. And the other images of Sodom and Gomorrah, again, uh, cities in the valley, in that plain, and and on the floor of the valley, cities that rebelled against God and ignored him and, and committed all sorts of of evil to the point that there weren't even 10 people in that city anymore who would call on the name of the Lord. And God destroyed the cities completely. To hear the hopelessness. This text, text uses a word 
says they were dry bones. And then it pauses and it says, no, they were very dry bones. It's as if it's trying to say the marrow is completely gone. The hope of life within these bones is no more. There is no no cell left within it that could lead to life, maybe, possibly. Nothing is left. The bones are very, very dry. God's people are completely dead. And even more than that, it starts to frame an echo here. Do you remember that creation story? The Genesis 1-1, not the one Brian read. Brian read the Genesis 2 account. But the Genesis 1 account has this refrain that every day God creates something, he declares it's good. And then on the last day, on that last day of creation, he's put everything together, everything's in its place, it's flourishing, and he says, ah, it's very good. It is if creation itself has been completely undone in this desert wasteland. The dry bones are not just dry. They're very dry. Creation itself come undone. All that life that God poured into the world emptied and gone. Ezekiel is saying it is hopeless. People of God There is no hope. It's not a comforting word, is it? We sing all the kids' songs about dry bones, dry bones. We make fun of the passage. We delight in it. The kids' stories love it. I mean, that's... It makes it into almost every Sunday school curriculum somehow because it's such a a fantastic text. The image is so vivid. We don't get to that place of resurrection hope that's in this text without first acknowledging how deadly our sins are. So the question as we read these first few verses is, how about us? Some of us may be here today and we are here as an act of desperation. God, I feel separated from you. I feel like I've cried out to you again and again and I feel like you are not listening and you are nowhere to be found. Some of us may be here as an act of desperation as well. I'm so entangled in my sins. I keep going back to the same sin again and again and again and again and I can't get out of it. And we want to cry out, God save me, but we've cried that out for the last two years and we've got nothing left to cry out with. Our tears have stopped. We don't know how to get out of the sin that we are entangled in. We feel hopeless. And maybe it's not an identifiable sin. Maybe there's not something we can pinpoint and say, yes, I know I'm doing this and I shouldn't and I need to stop. Maybe, maybe it's something else this morning. A relationship that just doesn't seem to be reconcilable. A cold distance that's set in between you and your spouse. A, a you and your child not talking to each other for years. Or you and your parent 
sibling that you haven't seen and you dread seeing again. And you feel the emptiness and the hopelessness of that relationship and it consumes you. And you this morning are sitting here going, I feel the dryness. I feel the emptiness. Lord, save me. Lord, save us. is the weight and the consequence not just of our individual sins but of a world entangled in sin. When we are disconnected from the source of life, it is hopeless. When we try to live on our own and imagine we can do whatever we want, we end up dead. And, I, and Ezekiel is trying to say in, in the best descriptive way he can through the Spirit, people, apart from God, away from God, we are a valley of dry, dry bones. And there is no hope. And my throat's dry, 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 so... I am thankful for the Word of God because the Word of God does not leave us hopeless. The Word of God is different than someone who's trying to shame you. The Spirit speaking through the Word exposes our sin, but not so that we can be shamed and embarrassed and driven away, driven into hiding, but God exposes our sin and our separation from Him so that He can draw us closer to himself so that he can forgive us and heal us more than that so he can save us and give us new life there's a whole lot of breathing of new life in this passage it's really a recreation story that story that brian read of genesis 2 4 to 7 it's just a short bit a very small piece of scripture, but it, it describes that opening act of God creating humanity and, and God gets down in the dirt and he, he carves out of the dirt this, this man, this, this being unlike any other part of his creation. And he's, he's down in that dirt carving, getting his hands dirty to make us. And as he forms humanity, he does something else. It says he breathes into his nostrils. He gets in there and does CPR, not to rescue life, but to create life. Breathes that first bit of his spirit into them. And that word for breath and wind in the Hebrew, ruach, is the word here in it. It is a word that, mean, that means and is used elsewhere as the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. God is breathing the Holy Spirit into us that, that humanity might live. And, and we need to notice that because without that breath, there's the carved image of a human, but there is no life. The life comes because of God's breath animating dust. Oftentimes, we say at a funeral something about from dust we have come and to dust we will return. We acknowledge our, our frailty as humanity. 
we acknowledge our nothingness apart from the breath of God within us. This coming week is Ash Wednesday, and some people will gather around, and there's a long tradition of putting ashes on the forehead as a way of reminding us of our brokenness and our emptiness, our, our death, apart from God's life-giving spirit. In Jesus Christ, that forgiveness of sins. Genesis 2, 4-7 to starts us there. The new creation that God's going to do in Ezekiel in just a moment that we're, we're going to hear and enter into is, is a, a recreation act. It's echoing this original story of God getting down into the dirt, into our nothingness, and creating us, breathing his life into us. Ezekiel Ezekiel does the same thing. That story here is, is God saying to Ezekiel, you see all these dry bones? Can they live? Something about Ezekiel's story to know as you read that question. In chapter 25, I believe it was, Ezekiel's wife died. And, I, and God told Ezekiel, your wife is about to die. She's going to die. And he watched her die. And then he had to prophesy after that to tell the people of Israel, it is as if God's bride has died. Imagine that weight and that longing. I want my spouse to live. Can these dry bones, this death you have personally experienced, can these dry bones live again? Can these bones live? Ezekiel, only you know, Lord. Only you know. God grabs those bodies, those dry bones, and he starts to knit them together and form them, and, and they come to life again, and they're standing there. They're all put together. The skin is on them, the muscles, the, the sinews, all the ligaments and tendons, everything. They are fully human, except they're not alive. They're standing, but they're not alive. God gives the second command. Ezekiel prophesied to the winds of the earth, to the Ruach. Prophesied to the Ruach to come and fill these bones that they may live. And the breath of God comes and enters into them. And this whole army of death comes back to life. Don't miss God's covenantal faithfulness in this. Remember what God said to Abraham? From the, the sands of the seashore, you can't count them. You can't count the grains of sand and, and come up with the number of descendants I will give you. I will bless you with. Remember Jesus when he's, he's talking to, to the Pharisees and Sadducees and they're claiming, but we are children of Moses and Abraham. And Jesus says, yeah, God can raise them from the rocks. Create new descendants of Abraham from the rocks. Ezekiel is playing that out here. God bringing life to that which was completely dead. A resurrection story in the middle of the Old Testament. God saying, I give life where I choose to give it. And I'm choosing to give it to the people of Israel. You will 
enter the land again. You will be a people, a vast people again, too numerous to count. I will bless you and bring you home from your exile. I will make good, not just on the covenant curses that you are experiencing now. I will make good on my covenantal faithfulness. I will be true to my word. I will breathe my life into you once again. God, giving that good word, pointing back to creation, saying, just as in the beginning, I breathed life among you to begin with, so too I will now, though you feel dead and hopeless, breathe new life into you. Whole army coming to life. New Testament, to jump ahead, does the same text. It imitates in such a small way this same storyline. The disciples in John 20, 19-23, the disciples, this is right after they've seen Jesus crucified, they're huddled together in a room. They've locked the doors for fear of the people who are going to come and get them, certainly. They are experiencing hopelessness. You could even say they viewed themselves as good as dead. People knew who they were. They had been seen with Jesus. Peter had even been identified three different times as hanging out with Jesus. And now Jesus had been crucified. What hope did they have? And into that room walks the resurrected Jesus. He enters into the midst of their space, their sense of hopelessness, their fear, right in the middle of their fear, and he shows up. Jesus has come back to life. The one who was dead, completely dead, tomb sealed, all of that stuff. Suddenly, he's alive and with them. And not only that, he's coming in such a way that he's bringing them together again. The next story after this one talks about him making sure that Thomas sees him. And then he's telling people, go on ahead of me. I'm going to show myself to more people. And and 500 some people get to see him. If you read all the Gospels together, you hear that even how some of the dead at that time come back out of the graves and are seen walking around in Jerusalem. Jesus' resurrection life starts to spill over into the people around him. But there's an incredible thing in this passage. Jesus says, I send you just as the Father has sent me. And he breathed on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. Just as Ezekiel had to call and prophesy to the Spirit to fill those dry, dead bones. And just as God did in the beginning in in creating humanity in that first place, he breathed into them. So it is that Jesus, in his first act after the resurrection, is to breathe that resurrection life into his disciples. Though you were dead without me, now I am with you, here and always, to the very end of the age. And my life, my spirit, is given to you so that there is no reason to be hopeless anymore. I'm filling you with my resurrection life. You are not alone. And you are no longer 
dead. You are alive in me. Don't miss God's covenantal faithfulness here. He, he didn't just go to Peter, right? He didn't just find John and say, hey, John, you were the faithful one. You showed up at the cross. Let me give you my life. You're good to go. Forget everyone else. He gathered Peter, who had turned his back on him and denied him three times. He gathered those who had scattered and run away, naked even, from the Garden of Gethsemane, those who had ridden, run away and hid, trying to protect themselves, abandoning him. And yet he goes to them, those people, those people of little faith. And he says, I'm doing something new here. And as a community of people, he gathers them together, he breathes that new life into them, and he sends them out. You are my people, and I am sending you out, not alone, but with me, with my spirit, and together as a whole community so now what? What about our resurrection life? I think the first response to this text is an invitation. If you are weary and dry, if you are heavy burdened and your heart is aching and crying out for that new life in God, come to him. Come to him Come pray up here afterwards. Linger in your seats and pray. Spend time crying out to him. Just as that invitation when we confessed our sins this morning, do you remember that? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Turn from your wicked ways. Come to the Lord for he'll forgive you. He'll give you new life. If you read the rest of Isaiah 55, it ends with the trees clapping and the mountains breaking forth. It is a beautiful passage of new life being abundantly experienced. And that life is yours in Jesus Christ. If you are weak and weary and tired and worn, come to him. If you're not quite sure how to do that, come talk to me. Come talk to one of our elders. We'll be glad to walk with you. Come experience that new life in Christ. There's more. Lent starts this Wednesday. The season of Lent is a time of prayer in the church. It's uh, meant to be a, a prayer where we turn our hearts to God again and again and say, Lord, examine me. I may not see the death in me, but I need you to see it and you to name it and you to show me. Turn me towards you. One of the things we talked about here as a church is, is another one of our core values, the steadfast prayer. The good news of Jesus Christ has the ability to renew the whole world. We, we proclaim that in this value. It's, it's part of our calling to be a people of prayer because we are convinced that in Christ there is new life, not only for the whole world, but for us too. Come, experience that take advantage of this season in the church year to, to spend a season in prayer. Lord, search my heart. Know me. Confess the areas of our lives that are dead, where we're ignoring God. And along with that confession, ask God to breathe into us a new life of his spirit. 
you're weary, come to Christ. If you've come to Christ, spend time this Lenten season praying, committing yourselves to pray daily. Lord, show me the areas of my life that are dead to you and fill me with that new life of your Holy Spirit. Let's pray. What an incredible story. It's so hard to imagine, but it is, it is a loaded and deep story, Lord. Lord, we, we want to say we're just not doing okay, or we're not feeling okay, or we're, we're just off. But you know the truth. Without you, we are dead. As dead as a valley of dry bones. We need you not just to forgive us, but to save us, to resurrect us, to give us new life. We can't get there on our own. We've got nothing left. Will you, Lord, breathe new life into us? Will you take these dead bones of ours and this dead life of ours and and breathe new life in through your Spirit? Will you fill us, Holy Spirit, that we may overflow with the life of Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Invite us to stand and sing together, Take My Life and Let It Be.